Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you guys this morning. If you will, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. As you already have been made aware, we're taking a brief hiatus from Isaiah to focus on some Christmas accounts in Scripture to prepare our hearts to celebrate uh, this month, the birth of Jesus. And so Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be hanging out today. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture with you, it is page 801 in your pew Bible, your black pew Bible right in front of you. I would encourage you to turn to that page. You know, church, a, a story is told of a married couple who was celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary, 60 years. And at the party, everybody wanted to know how they managed to stay together for so long. And the husband responded, well, when we were first married, we came to an agreement. I would make all the major decisions, and my wife would make all the minor decisions. At which point, the wife jumped in and said, yes, and in 60 years of marriage, we have never needed to make a major decision. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> Church, every day we have decisions to make, don't we? And, and many of those decisions are minor, like what to eat, what to wear, what to watch on TV, what to binge, and so forth. And other decisions are major, like who to marry, what house to buy, what job to take, what ministry to join, when to start a family, where to move, where to invest your resources, and so forth. And now there are many people who struggle with making those major decisions because they're the costliest decisions, the major ones. In other words, they're life-changing decisions, and they don't want to make the wrong decisions, so they put off making any decisions at all. Can anyone here relate to that? The good news is that Scripture provides foolproof direction when it comes to decision-making. In fact, everything that we need to know about decision-making can really be summed up in just a few verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding." In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Interestingly enough, these were some of the very first verses that I ever memorized, probably because the Lord knew that I needed them, because I'm one of those people that kind of struggle with those major decisions. You see, that word trust means to lie down on or to put your entire weight on something. It's like laying down on a bed. You're trusting that the bed's not going to collapse. Or it's like doing a trust fall. You are trusting that whoever's behind you to catch you, you're trusting that they're actually going to catch you. Yes, that's trust. Well, that's the same type of trust that we're supposed to have into the Lord, that he's going to catch us. Next, we're to do so with all of our heart, which means entirely or without exception. And then... In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways is like this umbrella statement meant to cover all areas of your life. And when we apply these principles to decision-making, the Lord will be faithful to lead us down the right paths in life. Needless to say, we can save ourselves a lot of regrets and bring our souls a lot of rest if we filtered the decisions that weigh on our minds through the word of God. Because in doing so, it may just change our lives forever and for the better. Well, this morning as we begin our Christmas series, The Life Change of Christmas, we're going to, be, going to revisit the account of Joseph, whose life was changed forever and for the better because he listened and trusted in the Lord. And it's through his life-changing encounter that we're going to be reminded of a very important yet very practical, very practical take-home truth today, and it's this. Always seek God's direction before solidifying decisions. It really boils down to this. And we're going to see why this is so important 
in the life of Joseph. And so one more time, I'd like to ask God's blessing on our time as we enter into his words. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these familiar accounts in Scripture, uh, Lord, that sometimes might feel a little old to us because we've heard them so many times again and again and again. They come around every single year. But Lord, you always have something for us. Your word is living and active. And so I pray that this morning I would get out of the way of, of your word and your Holy Spirit working on my heart and the hearts of your people, that we would be sensitive uh, to hear what it is you need us to hear today, and that we would leave here closer to Jesus than when we arrived. We commit our time in your word to your care. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we begin today's study, I want to give you a brief background on Joseph. Because truth be told, there's very little that we know about him. However, what we do know about him is still significant nonetheless. So we know that Joseph was called a son of David, meaning that he was part of the lineage of King David. We also know that his family was from Bethlehem. We sang, old little town of Bethlehem, just a few minutes ago. And that is where King David was from. And both of these facts are significant because they're a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. You see, the Messiah was to come from the line of David, of which both Joseph and Mary were, and was to be born in the town of where? Bethlehem. In addition, we know that Joseph was a carpenter by trade. We know that he was a righteous man, meaning he was a devout Israelite who lived according to what God required and was faithful in keeping all the ordinances of the temple. And so in a nutshell, what we know about Joseph is that he was of royal descent, he worked with his hands, he lived a godly life, and he attended worship services regularly. If there are any young boys in this room looking to marry my daughter someday, Joseph is the exact template of what I am looking for in my daughter's suitor. If you do not meet that criteria, don't even bother asking. So it's with this context that we're going to read today's passage, and then we'll talk more about it. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Famous boxer Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. And it's true, it's amazing how easily our plans can get derailed in life. It reminds me of the old cliche, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, right? You know, undoubtedly, Joseph had a plan. He was going to marry the love of his life, raise a family, enjoy a quiet and simple life in their hometown. Well, as we just read, his plans got derailed big time. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. 
And so church, while it's important that we do plan and prepare for life, we must also recognize that the Lord is ultimately in control of all things. And if our plans happen to get derailed and we're living within God's will, then we need to rest in the reality that God loves us and he knows what we're going through and he has better plans and purpose in mind for our lives. When Joseph learned of Mary's pregnancy, I'm sure it felt like life punched him in the face. Can you imagine? I mean, can you just imagine that for a second? You're, you're engaged, you're, you're on this this road to marriage, and all of a sudden, the person you're engaged to says, I'm, I'm pregnant, and you know that you didn't do that. Life punched him in the face. However, as we'll soon discover as we dig deeper into the passage, there was much more to the story than what meets the eye. And so today's passage can be broken down into three stages. Let's begin by looking at the first, Joseph's dilemma. Look again at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. You know, in Homer's The Odyssey, the main protagonist, Odysseus, needed to pass between Charybdis, which was a treacherous whirlpool, and Scylla, which was a horrid, man-eating, cliff-dwelling monster. Some people say this is where the idiom stuck between a rock and a hard place came from. The rock being the cliff and the hard place being the whirlpool. Well, nevertheless, it means to be placed in a difficult situation where you have to choose two equally unpleasant courses of action. This is where we find Joseph. In our opening verse, we see that Joseph learned that Mary was pregnant before they came together. Now, this detail is important because it lays the framework for the doctrine of the virgin birth, which teaches that Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this is a very important doctrine to Christian faith because the Messiah needed to be both fully God and fully man, yet without sin. And so therefore, to be conceived by the Holy Spirit meant that Jesus would preserve his holy nature because Joseph would not be passing down his sinful nature. And to be born of a woman meant that Jesus would also be human. It's a profound mystery that, quite frankly, we can never fully understand, but it is. Luke 1.35 says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Of course, Joseph didn't know any of this at the time when he found out Mary was pregnant. All he knew was that Mary was pregnant, and they had not engaged in marital relations. And so therefore, Joseph had every reason to believe that Mary had an adulterous relationship. And because he was righteous and he honored God's statutes, Joseph couldn't just give Mary a pass on this one. This was a big deal. Her unfaithfulness was a direct violation of God's law. And in ancient Jewish culture, that meant he was faced with one of two options how to proceed. The first option was to publicly expose Mary as unfaithful and just divorce her. However, this practice was extremely rare in the first century, this, this public uh, exposing. And if he opted for this practice, Mary would have suffered intense public scrutiny and shame and may have even suffered stoning. That's just the way things were back then. It's obvious that Joseph loved Mary way too much to subject her to this type of severity. And so the second option was to grant her a private divorce. This would have spared Mary some immediate ramifications, but inevitably, uh, once the marriage never materialized, people would start to notice and the scrutiny would begin, but at least with option number two, Mary would have a little bit of time. And so Joseph, being a stand-up guy, went with option 
2. Look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. We know that in modern culture, in today's culture, being engaged isn't the same as being married. In other words, you can break up the relationship quite easily without any legal ramifications. In fact, I've personally witnessed speeches given to nervous grooms on their wedding day telling them, hey, it's not too late to get out of this thing. Some, some officiants in weddings still say, should anyone present know any reason that this couple should not be joined in holy matrimony? Speak now or forever hold your peace. They talk just like that too. <laughs> they always do. And so all this to say, <laughs> until you say I do and a marriage license is signed, in our culture, you're not legally bound to anyone. Well, in ancient Jewish culture, the opposite was true. The engagement between a couple, in this case, Joseph and Mary, was a legal contract. It was as binding as marriage. And so therefore, Joseph couldn't simply break up with Mary. He needed to legally divorce her. But again, he wanted to do so in the most compassionate way possible. Because in doing so, it would preserve his own righteousness and conformity to God's law, but it would also demonstrate his empathy toward Mary. But as we'll soon see, when God got involved with the decision-making process, it brought a whole new and better option to the table, an option that would change Joseph's life forever. Let's look at the second stage, which is Joseph's dream. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Let's stop there. A story is told of a lady who had several recurring dreams a few days before Christmas. She said to her husband, I keep having this recurring dream that you gave me a huge, beautiful, expensive diamond uh, necklace for Christmas. What do you suppose it all means? And her husband said, you'll find out on Christmas morning. And a few days later, her husband handed her a beautifully wrapped package, and she opened it with anticipation to find a book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. <laughs> that, that man's my hero right there. Church, from time to time in Scripture, we find God using dreams and visions to either communicate his plan, further his plan, or provide information about his plan that's unavailable elsewhere. In, Joseph, in Joseph's case, God used dreams to provide information actually on three separate occasions, which of course begs the question, does God still speak to us using dreams and visions today? Well, the short answer is that God can speak to us any way he wants to, whether it be an angel, a vision, a dream, a still small voice, or even a donkey, there is no limit to what God can do. The better question is to ask, is it normal for God to speak to us using dreams and visions today? And the answer to this question is no, and for good reason. You see, we have something that Joseph didn't. You know what that is? Everybody hold it up. Show me what it is. What is it? We have God's completed word, right? And his completed word is our ultimate authority for faith and practice. 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All we need is God's word, really. Now, God can still do whatever he wants to do, and he's been known to do that, but we can't be relying on visions and dreams. And even if God were to give you a vision or a dream, it would have to completely agree with what he's already said in his word. If it doesn't agree with his word, or if it adds to or takes away from his word, then it's not of 
God. And so all this to say, instead of waiting on some sort of supernatural vision or dream from God, which again can happen but is relatively rare in today's world, believers should be waiting through his word, waiting, W-A-D-I-N-G, through his word, asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom and discernment. Joseph didn't have this luxury. And so God needed to use other means to reveal his plan. And in this case, it was a dream. Let's see what he said, verse 20, 21. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. One of my favorite Christmas movies is It's a Wonderful Life. Any fans in the house? Uh, I actually just saw this movie for the first time like maybe three or four years ago. So I'm kind of like late to the the party, but now it's like every year I got to watch It's a Wonderful Life. You know, George Bailey, the man had plans, didn't he? The poor guy. It never gets old, too. Like every year, like, come on, George, just get out of there. Get Get out of town. Come on, man, you could do it. He had plans, however, every time he moved forward with his plans, the poor guy just wanted a vacation. But every time he moved forward with his plans, they would get derailed. Now, in his eyes, this was greatly disappointing. But eventually, he learned that many of his greatest disappointments actually meant deliverance for someone else. In fact, many people's lives were saved by George Bailey's plans getting derailed. Well, the same, in the same way, God derailed Joseph's plans, but he delivered a better plan. A plan that would one day save the lives of many. By following God's plan, Joseph wouldn't need to question Mary's fidelity, nor would he have to follow through with his plans to divorce her. Instead, God invited him to be part of something amazing and something life-changing. By following through with the engagement and taking Mary to be his wife, Joseph would become the stepfather of Jesus, the Savior of the world. And found found within this incredible promise are some of the most profound words in all of Scripture, words which really sum up the whole message of Christmas. It's words from the prophet Isaiah, written 700 years beforehand. Verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Dr. Tony Evans, I love his commentaries, and he notes, the Bible in the manger was God himself in the person of his son. He was deity in a diaper. Heaven was coming down to earth. Eternity was invading time. The king of the universe had come to be with us and save sinners. Jesus Christ entered the world to identify with our sins, forgive us for our sins, and give us victory over our sins, and then give us an eternal home that's free from sin. The truth, this truth, is what Christmas is all about. If you miss that, then you've missed the point. You know, we're entering into the second week of hunting season. Anybody hunt here? A few hunters in the room? And as a hunter, I've had my fair share of hits and misses when it comes to hunting deer. Uh, Because when it comes to shooting a deer, there's a certain point on the deer that you're supposed to hit, and if you miss that point, you either injure the deer or you lose, getting, lose out on getting the deer. And ask any hunter and they'll tell you there's no worse feeling than the letdown you feel after missing a deer or injuring a deer. 
And I think the same can be said about people who miss the point of Christmas. Sure, there's lots of pomp and circumstance leading up to Christmas Day, and there's plenty of events and activities to keep us all real busy and distracted, but once the dust settles, and after all the gifts are open, there's this feeling of a letdown that leaves you deeply dissatisfied. And that feeling only gets worse one month later when the credit card bills start rolling in. <laughs> However, for those who embrace the real reason for the season, for those who reflect less on the earthly gifts that they receive and more on God's heavenly gift from above, for those who meditate on the person and work of Jesus during Christmas time, there's just more joy and peace that carries well past that one day that we all build up to. And I think that's why, shameless plug, why I think it's special to have church on Christmas Day. It doesn't happen very often, once every five, six years. Because it's a reminder that, like, listen, it's, it, it's, it's not really about what's happening in our homes under the tree. That's fun and exciting, but, but it helps center our hearts back into why we're doing this in the first place. Jesus. And there's joy and there's peace. Second, Luke 2, 10 and 11, it says, The angel said to him, Fear not. This is the news that we celebrate. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. So Christmas should be filled with good news of great joy. Because it has nothing to do with the gifts or all the pomp and circumstances. It has to do with Jesus. That will be for all the people, that's all of us, for unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so this is kind of just a sidebar deal, but all this to say, if you desire real satisfaction and joy during this Christmas season, sure, go have fun, do all the fun events. We like to do them too as a family, but remember... Let me encourage you in the midst of the hustle and the bustle to keep your thoughts fixed on Jesus. Because that joy is going to carry well past that one day, December 25th. Now, once Joseph woke up from his dream, he had a decision to make. It was a life-changing, a major decision. Would he, by faith, follow and rest in God's plan, or would he falter and resort back to his own plans? Well, we all know the answer to that one, don't we? Let's look at it again anyway. Joseph's decision. The third stage is Joseph's decision. Verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He did it. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had been given birth to a son. And he, his name shall be called Jesus. He listened. He followed through with God's plans. Well before the days of email, a young woman gave her mother a fax machine. And the daughter insisted that her mom start sending her correspondence by fax instead of post office. But her mother was stuck in her ways, and she kept using the post office. And on many occasions, the daughter would relentlessly argue that it was faster and it was, less ex it was a less expensive way to communicate. But her mother continued to send her weekly letters by mail. Finally, right around Christmas time, the mother showed that she now had a full grasp of the technology. And so she faxed a $100 bill to her daughter with a note that read, Merry Christmas, darling. You're right. It is cheaper to fax than to mail. Love, Mom. Church, sometimes we think we know what we want until we get what we want and realize it's not what we want at all. If Joseph had followed through with his original plan, it would have been the biggest mistake of his life. He would have missed out on an incredible, life-changing blessing. But instead, he trusted in the Lord with all of his heart. And he leaned not on his own understanding. And in all his ways, he acknowledged God, and God made 
his paths straight. And therein lies the primary application for you and I today. How often are we guilty of making decisions without asking the Lord? How often are we guilty of praying, God bless my plans, instead of praying, God, what's your plans for me? Excuse me. How often do we choose to walk down our own path instead of God's path? How often do we miss out on God's blessings because we choose our way instead of his? Friends, I don't know what decisions might be weighing heavy on your heart or mind this morning, but I want to encourage you to pray before taking action. And notice I said pray before taking action, not pray instead of taking action. We cannot use prayer as an excuse for doing nothing. Well, I'm just sitting around praying, waiting on God to give me a dream or a vision, like he did Joseph, and until he does, I'm not moving. It's not what we're talking about here. We need to pray, but at the same time, we should not be hasty to do something without first inviting God into the process. Because the Lord is willing and ready and generous to provide wisdom to those who ask for it. We studied this not long ago, James 1. Five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Friends, when you trust in the Lord with all of your hearts, when you lean not on your own understanding, when you acknowledge God and you invite him into your plans, when you make decisions based upon his wisdom, you might just be surprised what he has in store for your life. And just like Joseph, it may just change your life forever and for the better. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How many of you guys are thankful for that verse? Amen? And this leads us back to today's truth to remember. Always seek God's direction before solidifying decisions. I mean, you may not even always be comfortable in the direction that God leads you in, but at least you could take peace in knowing that, listen, I prayed prayed about this thing. And I'm just following what appears to be God's answer to that prayer. It's a much better place to be than just to roll the dice and hope you're going the right direction in life. Yes? Seek God's direction. He is faithful. Of course, the most important life-changing decision that you'll ever make is what you choose to do with Jesus. In Joseph's dream, he was told that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. So what about you? Have you been saved from your sins? The Bible teaches that all have sinned. Everybody, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. All means all. And this includes you. It includes me. Listen, your sin separates you from God. Yet God, and this is the beautiful, this is the story of Christmas. This is how it all begins. God, in his great love for you, became a man in Jesus. And he died on a cross taking the punishment for your sins upon himself. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And in doing so, provided a way to receive forgiveness for your sins and receive eternal life. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. If you're just tuning in, welcome back. Good to see you. Stay with me for the next minute. Jesus 
came. God came and died to save you. Why would he do something like that? For you and for me. Because he loves you. He loves you. And he provided this. He, it's unexplainable, right? It's, unex, it's an unexplainable love. How can God love me that? You can't explain it. But he did. He said, Satan has you right now, but I'm not going to let him. I'm going to give you an opportunity to get out of his grasp. So Jesus came. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much baggage you carry. Jesus offers complete and total forgiveness for anyone who calls upon him. That's MAGA love. That's like mind-blowing love. You want eternal life? You want to live forever? How many people want to live forever? Say amen. I don't believe you. Say amen. Of course you want to live forever. You want to live forever? Jesus is the answer. Romans 10.13 is clear. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone means everyone. You are not too far gone. And so, friend, if you want to be completely forgiven for your sins and be assured that you will go to heaven when you die, all you must do is admit before God that you are a sinner and repent of your sin, asking God to forgive you and believe in the person and work of Jesus. Don't let another minute go by without having the assurance of eternal life. Let today be the day of your salvation. Make that life-changing decision to not follow your own directions in life, but follow God's direction for your life. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This time I'm going to call those that are closing us in song to come forward. And as they do, I just want to pray for you. I'm going to pray to close out our, our time together, but I'm going to pray specifically within my prayer a prayer that if you're not a believer here this morning, but you want to be, you want to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you could just pray along with me for assurance of your salvation today. So let's all bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for the love that you have for every soul in this building today. A love that is so incredible. That, that is so unexplainable that you, from eternity past, had this plan to, to send your son Jesus and to, to become one of us and to live a, a perfect life and to be mocked on a cross and put to death unjustly and, and to have all of our sin upon you providing this opportunity to receive eternal life, and you just give it freely. You paid the cost, and you just hand it out. And God, we, we have stiff-armed you more times than we'd ever like to admit, yet your love keeps chasing us. And God, we praise you for that truth this morning. And if there's anyone here who does not know you as Savior, Lord, let today be the day of their salvation. I pray for, for your people that are here today that have trusted you. If God, if they've got big decisions, I pray that they would commit them to your care and trust you with the results. But I pray, uh, more importantly now, for those that are here that don't know you, that need to make that biggest decision that they've ever, they could ever make in their lives to trust you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, may they pray this prayer along with me. God, I, I admit that I'm a sinner.
And I am convinced this morning that your son is the Christ. You are the Messiah. You came to save me. Lord, I believe that 2,000 years ago you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were raised from the dead and I believe that you are now a living God. And I want to place my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation. I don't want to trust in my good works or my own righteousness. Lord, I want to trust in you and you alone. So Lord, save me and make me more like Jesus in the days ahead. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. And if there's anyone here that that prayed that along with me and for the first time and truly meant it, I want you to know that, that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. God saved you this morning. And just, just to affirm that salvation, if you want to come up uh, after the service, you want to grab one of these information packets, you could do that. If you want to come talk to me, if you want to write it down on your Connect slip, just let somebody know so we can kind of point you in the right direction and uh, how to grow in your relationship with Jesus. But it, don't leave here unless you've placed your faith in Jesus or you need that assurance today. Thank you.